Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast today. My name is Terry Fletcher. So welcome to April. Oh, my goodness. Can we really pass the first quarter of 2023? Yes, we are. So what I wanted to do is there was a recent CPT, so AMA Evaluation and Management Revisions FAQs that they posted. And I thought it was interesting because when you look at it from a 2023 perspective, it actually was definitely updated from the 2021 rules for office visits. And so I just wanted to kind of talk about some of the things that they put on their FAQ, because I think some of you may have missed it, or if you're not a member, you probably didn't see it. And believe it or not, even though I'm a multi-specialty coder with procedurally, I get more E&M questions, more telehealth questions than anything else that is out there. So I figured, you know what, let's go ahead and revisit some things because you, you never really know if you're thinking about this or trying to figure out how do I find this. So here's something that comes again right from the AMA FAQ. And so this is helpful because that's published guidance in case you need it. So first thing that came up was talking about medical decision making when it comes to number and complexity of problems addressed. So how many times do your physician or does your physician come to you and say, well, I did, I wrote a prescription, so it's automatically level four. And we go, no, no, no. <laughs> Let's go back and realize that there are three elements of the medical decision making rules that we have to follow. And those are number and complexity of problems addressed. And then, of course, the data that we have and complexity of data that is reviewed and analyzed. And then the overall risk on the patient that contributes to the patient management. So let's say we have a patient who is established patient, has uncontrolled diabetes, and they also have hyper and hypoglycemic episodes. Okay, that's not good. So where does this fall under complexity and problems addressed? That's the first element of ENM. So would it be under a level four or five? Well, according to the, um, the level four, one or more chronic illnesses with exacerbation, progression, or side effects, that is for a moderate. That's the start. It doesn't mean you're just going to get a moderate. If it's a severe exacerbation and there is a difference, um, that's for patients that typically have uncontrolled or episode, episodic problems or conditions that could relate in comorbidities. Um, that can be considered high. So that would have to be well documented. So to, so to start, if somebody has type 2 diabetes with hyper and hyperglycemic episodes, I would think you're starting, that's a severe exacerbation, at the level 5. But it doesn't mean it's automatically a level 5 because now you need to look and see, are you going to order an A1C or what are your, you know, the data that you're going to order? Is it going to fall into a moderate or high level? And then the risk on the patient, what's your plan? What's your assessment and plan for that? So I've had a lot of records recently that may have had a, a high element of the medical decision-making in there or a moderate element, but then the other two elements are either low or moderate or lower, and you have to have two out of three to meet the criteria for that uh, leveling of that visit. 
Another FAQ or another question that came up is that should coders determine whether a patient's medical problem or illness is stable or worsening? No, no, no. So a coder should never determine whether a patient's problem or illness is stable or worsening. The patient's physician or the qualified healthcare provider, so that would be the PA or nurse practitioner, they're expected to determine within the record, so documented, whether the medical problem or illness is stable or worsening. So they're the one that has to um, address it and which is or manage it. And that has that's part of those elements. And if that you can't see their thought process process there or if it's not clear if they're if it's stable or worsening, then you have to kind of default to stable. You can't make that decision or query the physician. So we, you have to basically error on the lower value because you can't upcode based on what you're trying to determine as a coder. So even as an auditor, you don't want to do that. So here's something that's come up, and actually this was a, something that came up recently, and I'm going to talk about it with the compliance guy, Sean Weiss, on ta uh, Terry Tuesday as well. So, um, and I think we are talking, we talked about it last week, and we may bring it up again. But this question comes up quite a bit, and it's, is it appropriate to account laboratory tests and other tests during a preventative medicine visit um, in the medical decision-making selection? The answer is no, because the 2021 and now 2023 revisions to the ENM or office outpatient visits, they do not apply to preventative services. So when you are ordering vaccines or ordering or administering any kind of immunizations, they don't count in a um, in an ENM service. Remember, that's preventative. The second thing on that is that you're charging for it. Most people that are you know doing vaccines are not just ordering it; they're actually billing for those vaccines or those immunizations in their office. And again, you cannot include that as prescription drug management because you're not first of all you're billing for it and secondly it's a preventative medicine and so it wouldn't even apply to that criteria so the criteria would be in a problem oriented visit and under preventative there's no problem so make sure that you are not doing that and don't even try to add an enm service to try to pick up those lab tests under data because unless it's a significant separate service then it wouldn't be appropriate to bill an office visit in addition to a preventative if they're coming in basically just to go over everything, age-appropriate, comprehensive risk assessment plan, and then you're giving vaccines and immunizations. That's all under preventative. So be careful with that because I see that quite a bit. So another question, a family practice physician received records from a new patient's cardiologist, which includes an EKG and a chest X-ray. Would it be appropriate for the physician to receive credit for reviewing those cardiologist note, notes and the EKG and the chest x-ray? Yes, but remember, it's you're, you're actually reviewing prior external note, and that's plural notes, from each unique um, source. And so since it's from one cardiologist, it's only going to be one source. So you're only going to have those notes. It's not a unique test. Um, as far as being able to count more and more and more. So um, you, you would not have overlapping, there's, there's no overlapping elements here because it's basically the source that you're looking at here and not the distinct test like you would if you were ordering a test. So know the difference there and always look to see if you're looking at inclusions for plurality. So under the category one on test and documents, it says review of prior external notes. It says plural from uh, each unique source. So if you got that from the cardiologist and it was a stack of notes, then that would just be one source. 
But let's say you also got maybe a CBC and some lab differentials from the primary care physician as well, maybe a platelet count or something like that, then that would be two sources. That would be two unique sources. So know that, that you have a plurality within a source. And then this is something that I thought was kind of interesting uh, that comes up quite a bit. It says, do the inherent risks um, of all surgeries make this a high risk to patients when selecting the level of service? You know, ordinary surgical risks, so, or I should say routine surgical risks, CPT coding does not defined that as preparations or for low or high risk patients. So the physician is the one who evaluates, or the QHP, the best judge of the specific patient factors that make up the procedure high risk for the patient. That's why when they came out and, and said in 2021 under corrections that they're not looking for consideration if the surgery or procedure is necessarily global. It just means the nature of the event under consideration, how is that risk going to be for that patient? So for example, low probability of death may be considered high risk, um, but whereas a high chance of a minor self-limited adverse effect could be considered low risk. It just, you have to look at how that is for that particular patient. And that's why when we talk about the, these new rules, and that's, I just call them new now, since we have both 21 and 23, is related to that patient, not related to that procedure, if that makes sense. So you could have a patient, let's say, that's going to have a rotator cuff repair, a healthy, you know, 40-year-old patient. Um, they've got a rotator cuff tear. They've really never had any other issues before. They're going to have surgery, which is a major surgery, but they don't have diabetes. They don't have hypertension. There's no medication interaction. They're not on blood thinners. There's nothing that your physician has to take into consideration that's going to make that particular surgery any more riskier for this patient than it would be for any routine surgery done. So in my opinion, that would be a moderate level patient overall. Well, because they're coming in with um, a, an, a uh, Ill illness here. So they're coming in with an acute, uncomplicated illness or injury. Uh, maybe you're ordering a lab, maybe you're also ordering a, a test that could be low, and you might be in moderate risk for a decision regarding um, elective major surgery without any risk factors. So you could be at a level four, you probably would. If it is an undiagnosed new problem with an uncertain prognosis, or an acute, a complicated injury, shoulders can be considered complicated, but it depends on what the doctor says. Then, um, or it could be, you know, a chronic illness. Maybe they had a chronic shoulder and it was there for a long time and they finally are taking care of it, which would be typically longer than a year or two. Um, then that would be moderate. But if let's say that same patient was coming in with that shoulder problem and this patient is on blood thinners and this patient maybe is allergic to aspirin and this patient um, is also not only Medicare age, but an advanced age and they're concerned because this patient has had a previous shoulder surgery and, 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 and you see where I'm going with that. So that's when you have to look at that particular patient, not the procedure itself. Uh, when you are leveling a service. And just be very careful about that because sometimes I'm seeing everybody saying, oh, because it's major 90-day surgery, that's where it's going to automatically be a high level. And that's not the case. You know, look at some of the, for example, um, I do a lot of orthopedic audit audits and the patient's going to have a surgery on their, you know, right first finger. Okay, well, it may be a 90-day global surgery, but if the rest of the body's healthy, how is that even considered a high risk. It's not. And I've seen physicians try to do that when they're 
their documentation is specific to that finger or carpal tunnel or something that is a routine service on an otherwise healthy patient. So it's really important just to realize that we're the, I don't say we, the AMA and Medicare has really tried to get physicians to focus on that patient's risk, not on the risk of what they're having done, but how it affects that patient overall. And that's why they've added that language, problems addressed instead of just the complexity of the problems listed, Um, data to be reviewed and analyzed. They want you to relate it to that patient and then risk of complications and our morbidity and mortality of that patient's management. So they've added that direction on there to try to make a point that this is about the patient, not about the procedure or what your plan is. And to clarify, meaning the procedure, not the procedure, what the plan is from a generic standpoint. That's why these drop down screens, these, you know, uh, cut and paste and these macros that are put into the EMR, which I'm still seeing, please stop, um, are becoming just so routine now. And it's like, you've got two different kinds of patients coming in and you're saying the exact same thing as far as risk and morbidity and mortality, that's not accurate. That doesn't serve the patient at all. And so especially when you see it over and over and over again, and I've also seen physicians now try to use the language that Medicare and AMA has put out. They're saying this was low risk of morbidity and mortality um, based on this. And I'm just like, that's the direction in AMA. That's not something you're supposed to say. So, you know, it, you have to be careful about using direction language instead of specific language for the patient, which also kind of brings me to something that's come up recently. And oh my goodness, has anybody heard of chat GPT? Oh my gosh. So I'm rolling my eyes right now and face planning, and I'm sure you can understand why. So I am all about um, advances in technology. Absolutely. I mean, I was sad when I had to get rid of my BlackBerry and had to use an iPhone. I wasn't too excited about that because I like feeling the, the buttons under my hands. But I also come from when we used to type claims. Oh, my gosh. I come from when we you know, didn't have um, these nice thin screen, you know, for our computers and our desktop. And I am 90% virtual now in my job. And so if it wasn't in what I do, if it wasn't for the the internet and technology, I wouldn't be working probably because I don't want to fly anymore. I don't want to travel as much as I, I did. I was out there 200 days a year, you know, for a very long time for over 20 years. And so I'm all about technology, but there has to be a time when we say enough progress as far as technology, when it starts to take over, you know, I've mentioned a couple of times this, this show, and I've mentioned it even on a listserv recently, it's called Black Mirror. And there was an episode on this, it's a Netflix show, and it's kind of like um, the Twilight Zone on, on steroids. And there was one about the machines have taken over. And I know some of you have seen Terminator. If you're, you know, if you were a 70s child like me, there was a show called uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So basically, it's, it's taking over people's minds and people's lives. And, and technology seems to be starting to do that. And it's worse than cloning to me, because it's using language in this chat GPT, that they're trying to adopt for healthcare. It's using language that is so beautiful and so pretty and so over the top um, collegiate looking, if you understand what that means, 
that it's not how your doctors write. Okay, we your doctors don't write like that. They're charting very quickly. They they use, you know, um, a lot of acronyms, a lot of shortcuts. And even when they write longhand, it, it's not this beautiful college paper. And that's what this is starting to turn into. Now in saying that, I did get to play with the beta testing for using it for appeals letters, uh, for medical necessity letters. So in the billing office, oh my gosh, it even you can even ask for a source on medical necessity. And it was so fun to use. Be, and you have to check your sources to make sure it's it's appropriate. But that's really kind of fun to use. But when we start to say, let's use it for charting, and, you know, physician, I mean, the physician documentation, this is going to be a problem. We're trying to get the physicians out of cut and pasting, out of things being done for them. We, we want to give them shortcuts. We want to give them prompts. We want physicians to and our providers to be able to save time in their charting. But when you when the physicians start to look as charting as not their job, as not part of what you're getting paid for. It, there's a problem. It is part of your job. It's part of the med legal process of a medical encounter. And so even though there are shortcuts and there's ways to do things, please do not allow your providers to rely solely on AI, which is artificial intelligence. And it's, it's exactly what the acronym is. It's artificial. It's not real. It's not what is actually happening, happening with the patient. It is an adaption, an adaptation, I guess is the word, of what your physician is thinking, saying, and what they are shortcutting to make this beautiful long letter that if you ever have to get in front of a judge, they're going to go, when did you write this? You wrote this during the encounter with the patient, really? So you're, you're not going to be able to prove it. So really try to be careful with that if somebody's bringing that to your attention. I'm not saying you can't use it because obviously technology is moving forward, but let's hope we're not being taken over by the machines because I think that in some aspect, I mean, think of telehealth, there are things that people just think it's all or nothing instead of a helpful tool um, instead of being the all or nothing. I mean, there's something out there right now. I just started investing in a company called .go and it is a mobile unit to bring an office visit to patients who are in rural areas, who are elderly, who, you know, are too sick to actually even get into a transportation service to get to the doctor's office, but also struggle with telehealth. And I'm a proponent of telehealth when it's, or I'm sorry, and yeah, proponent. Yeah, I was almost an opponent, but a proponent of telehealth when it's appropriate, you know that I'm, I'm like the telehealth guru. But I also believe that that personal touch that, you know, provider to come see a patient, to even hold their hand and walk them through the process and look at them face to face when they can't get to the office to see that patient. I just think that is such a great opportunity. And, you know, if, if Amazon can deliver something that I order in an hour, there's no reason why there can't be a mobile unit for healthcare. And I hope more people invest in something like that, because I'm really hoping that's part of our future in healthcare. And it just brings us back to that, you know, artificial intelligence, the technology driven uh, world right now, we need to, to not slow it down, but we need to also have a voice in, in letting people understand that once you take out the human part of anything you're doing, you've now taken out the human part of anything you're doing. And I think you'll know what I mean by that. And so it's really going to change lives. And I don't think for the better. 
And so think about, think about what the studies are coming out right now, talking about our kids that are, you know, stagnated from the pandemic because they had to do school on the computer. They had to wear masks where they couldn't see faces of their friends, of their teachers, of, you know, people out there and just how isolating that was for our kids and the mental health issues they're feeling now. Think about that as an elderly person. Think about that as somebody who isn't getting the opportunity to have that face to face. And I know I'm going off a little bit on a tangent here, but this is important to me. And I'm hoping it's important to you to know that healthcare is about care. It's not just about technology. And to to have people that we want to be healthy and happy, not just from mental and behavioral health position, but also from a physical position. And you need to have that physicality in a lot of the things that you do. Otherwise, if you take it away, it's sterile. It's just not going to be a great thing for patients. And I truly believe that. Okay, on a positive note, I get to go to Napa in June. And so I'm starting to uh, plan that. So I'm excited about that. I think I mentioned that also last weekend. And so far, we have a pretty good lineup set up. I'm getting to go to Alpha Omega Winery, and I get to go to, what's another one? Odette. So look those up if you get a chance. Tell me what you think. And Turnbull, that's my favorite. I love big cabs. That's like my favorite ever. And so I'm definitely looking forward to that. Hopefully, all of you have started to see some sunshine. We've had so much rain here in California. We've had more than Seattle in Southern California. Can you believe that? That's crazy. I pay for this weather. I want to make sure I get my weather. But today is a beautiful sunny day. So hopefully that's on the rise. All right, everyone, make it a great rest of your week. Make it a great day. And thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer, Joe Kuzma, Music producer, Assassin Music.